Um, I mentioned this uh, last week, uh, but we, for those of you who didn't hear, we did close on our new building, City Lights Church, close our new building. Come on. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your faithfulness in uh, just uh, tithing to the church, giving this church. Because of that, we were in a position to be able to put the down payment on this building and to, and to close on it. So um, I just want to say, I'm not sure, um, we're probably going to do uh, a couple phases. Um, we need to, phase one to get into the building, we'll be building out a sanctuary. Um, and so we'll be working on that as quick as we can get permits uh, from the city. We're going to pull the trigger on that. And as soon as we can do that, we'll start doing that. And I don't, and then phase two, will there be a phase two and three? There'll be subsequent phases that will be happening uh, later on. Like we're going to make the foyer nice and then we'll, we'll be renovating the children's area. But I think just to have church there, we just got to renovate the, the sanctuary. And so I'm not sure how much, but we're going to be raising money between now and the time we get in, which might be November. We're not sure. I don't have uh, clear timelines on that. Um, so we're probably going to be setting a goal to raise between two hundred and three hundred thousand dollars um, between now and then for our building fund. But check this out: since May first, um, I've been talking more about the building fund. We've actually already raised forty-three thousand six hundred and four dollars. So thank you. Uh, for your faithfulness there. And I just want to encourage you, um, uh, if this is your home church, thank you for partnering with us um, in your financial giving. And again, if you would just give a, a little more every, week, every time you get paid, whatever, to the building fund. That's what my wife and I do. Um, that really helps move this along. And then at some point here in the next few weeks, we'll be talking about taking up one large offering to hopefully fund this entire project. And we're going to get in that building. Amen? It's going to be good. Um, yeah, and next week I have some, there's some cool um, giving testimonies of like how, to, how that $43,000 came in. There's some cool testimonies. There are a couple of them that I want to share um, next week. Um, this week, um, right before I get into the message here, I want to share a, uh, a healing testimony video of, of a, a, a man who's in our congregation. And so go ahead and roll that video. You ever heard the expression, be careful what you ask for? Well, I asked God to reveal himself, and he sure did in a major way. For the past seven weeks, I've been in and out of the hospital, more in than out, because I had to get my foot amputated through complications. And if you have never heard of anybody that got their foot amputated, uh, it's a horrific thing. You have to learn how to walk again. Um, you're like a little baby. You can't do anything. You really can't. You obviously, you can't run. You have to learn how to do a lot of things over. Standing in front of the um, um, the bathroom, brushing your teeth becomes a chore because your balance is off. It's 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 a horrific feeling. Um, but it wasn't until I went to rehab where they had messed up my medication and put me in the, almost a comatose state where I I was no I was not cognitive. Um, I, my my blood was so toxic that. Uh, my brain was swelling, and I would just, I didn't know anybody that was there. I saw them, but I didn't see them, if that makes sense. It wasn't until Pastor Kurt came and anointed me on my forehead, and it was like almost immediately that I started feeling better, to the point where anybody who saw me the day before was so surprised that I could even talk. My eyes were open. I was cognitive. I, I knew them again. It almost like that, but that's that's a small part of the miracle that God is. For some reason, 
He put it in my soul to call my mother. Now it's been 15 years since we spoke. There was so much animosity and he took it out. And he took all of that hatred, he took all of that, that anger away from me. And me and my mother today, we had a good half hour and a half conversation and we've been talking every day since as if we were, as if we were not mad at each other. And if you don't believe in the power of God, 15 years without, without my mom getting cured within less than 24 hours after a horrific time like that, you should maybe pay attention to the stories and people around you because they, they have enough miracles to share with you to let you know that God is real and God is here for you. Thank you so much for your time. Come on. Jesus is a healer. We were, we were in a staff meeting on a, on a Wednesday, and we had gotten a communication that, like, Gerald's dying. Like, someone needs to go pray for him. We'd had lots of pastors coming out praying for them and lots of people praying for him. But um, I kind of went there as, like, okay, last rites kind of thing and prayed for him, and then he, then he turned the corner. But amazing testimony. Like, thank you, Jesus. I was just, oh, my gosh. So that, I hope that encourages you. Encourages me. Encourages me. All right, well, let's get into the message. <laughs> I'm laughing because of the clock, so. But I'm not going to skip the jokes. <laughs> I used to have an overweight parrot. When he died, it was a huge weight off my shoulders. Just, oh, you know. I have a fear of speed bumps. I'm slowly getting over it. Those are pretty good. Come on. <laughs> All right, open your Bibles. Um, I think James, the book of James, is a good place to land. Um, today we're continuing a series that we, we began a couple weeks ago on faith and sexuality. Um, the Lord has been dealing with me to preach on faith and sexuality. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to. And the Lord's like, do it anyway. This is what the people need to hear. So uh, here we are. Um, today is part two. And if you, by the way, if you missed um, the first message in this series, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, I talked about how first and foremost, we need to establish the lordship of Jesus in our lives uh, before we as Christians can honestly and truthfully even approach the subject. Why? Because if it doesn't start with the objective of following Christ towards freedom and following Christ towards truth, you and I are not going to end up in the right place. Why? Because sometimes what we feel or what seems intuitive to us um, is not reality, especially in an ever-changing uh, culture, right? What culture says is right, what culture says is good is continually changing, and how many know that our emotions, what we feel is up and down and is ever-changing? So we have to establish the lordship of Jesus as premier as we approach the subject truthfully, um, and honestly, um, an illustration I gave last week was this, you know, if you're lost in the woods and um, you're like, okay, I need to go this way. And your intuition is like, yeah, I need to go that way. But how many know if you have a GPS, everyone get out your GPS. Come on. If you got a GPS, the Bible, you got the Holy Spirit. How many know you need to go the direction the GPS tells you to go? Because the GPS isn't going to lie. And maybe you feel like north is that direction, but GPS says it's that direction. Um, that's what we need to do. So we need to establish the lordship of Jesus in our lives as we approach the subject honestly and truthfully. So 
If someone, by the way, throughout this series, I, I'm, I'd imagine I will say some things that people don't agree with. And by the way, I, there's no way I'm going to preach all this perfectly. And I'll probably look back and be like, ah, I should have said that, shouldn't have said that, whatever. But if anyone has a critique of anything I say in this series, if you haven't heard the first message in this series, I won't even entertain the critique. I, I get feedback all the time, but I'm not going to entertain the critique unless you hear the first message series. Amen? So go back and listen to that. Um, today, the title of our message is called Breaking Free from Porn, Breaking Free from Pornography. This is a huge issue in our culture, and it's a huge issue um, in the church, actually. Um, how can we as Christians stay free from pornography in an era where it is so available. Now, I don't know your story. I don't know if you like walk in complete victory over this. It's like you never think about it. And you're like, why are we even talking about this in church? Um, or maybe you're a once a month you stumble, once a week you stumble, once every six months you stumble, once a year you stumble. Or you know what I'm saying? I don't know your story. Um, but this is important for us to talk about. And if you're in the camp of like, this is never a problem for me. Why are we talking about this? Um, I want to encourage you, and, and I'll give you some reasons why intercede and pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ because it is a problem for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I can assure you probably a bigger problem than you think it is. Now, before I talk about how we can stay free from pornography, I want to establish why. How many know that you should establish the why before you talk about how? Your why will help sustain you. I want to help provide you with a good why. If you don't have a good why, I want to I provide you with a few today. Um, here's the deal. Um, without a doubt, the landscape surrounding this subject has changed over the last 20 to 30 years. Amen? Um, I was born in 1980, and the advent of the internet didn't really, uh, you know, 90s, the internet started coming around, but like really, um, the advent of the internet didn't, and the availability of pornography didn't really uh, kick up until the, I'd say the early 2000s. Um, Back before that, you, you, it was available, but you really had to go out of your way to find it, right? You had to do that, like, walk of shame, go to that store, you know, you had to go in there, and people could see you. you. Now it's like, how many know it's as easy as reaching into your pocket? And when things are that available, and that, you're able to do that so secretly, how many know that's an alluring temptation for a lot of people? Uh, when I was a young man, I think my like first exposure to seeing anything pornographic was like I had a friend, and he had and his dad had a collection. He's like, check out my dad's magazines. I'm like, whoa, this is the craziest thing ever, right? Like that's 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 kind of the era I grew up, and I actually thank God that I didn't grow up uh, in the era that we're in now, where things are so available to so many people. Um, this is kind of a an odd story, but like my first exposure to explicit uh, material was my friend and I, we were, we were riding our bikes and swimming in lakes and doing things that young boys do. We went to a playground. Uh, we're probably 12, 13 years old. We went to a playground and there's a videotape at the playground. We're like, what's this videotape? We take it home, put it in the player and it's like hardcore pornographic material. And we're like, you know, the, this rush of like, whoa, what is this? The rush of those feelings, those emotions. We thought we'd struck gold, honestly. We're like, oh, sweet. We get to watch this whenever we want, you know. Um, followed by feelings of shame, guilt, condemnation, the whole bit. You, you know it. Okay. But here's the deal. Um, today, the average age that most kids are first exposed to pornography is 11 years old. Uh, 15% of kids are uh, exposed to pornography ages 10 and younger. 
And they say that 94% of children see pornography by the age of 14. So yeah, you're right. We shouldn't talk about this at all, right? Okay. Now, it's not just an adolescent problem. This is a problem that I hear um, people who are in the retired age have issues with. This is a problem I hear young people have a problem with. This is a problem I hear that uh, many people have a problem with. But here's the deal. For humankind, for mankind, and especially the adolescent brain, exposure to those kind of images um, uh, invoke a lot of feelings, a rush of excitement, you know, followed by feelings of confusion, confusion and shame. Today, a person can see more pornographic material in two minutes than the person 100 years ago could have seen in two lifetimes. Okay, that kind of rampant exposure is unparalleled in human history. What you and I are seeing unfold in front of us is an experiment, if you will, that's unparalleled in human history. This kind of exposure to graphic material and graphic storyline is unparalleled in human history. And we're talking the last 20, 30 years, really, where it's become so available. Yes, of course, in 1950s, you know, was when Playboy magazine, um, Hugh Hefner first established Playboy magazine. Of course, there's been pornographic material for the last, you know, uh, 80 years or so. But the kind of pornography that's being produced today and the availability of it today is a whole new level. And, and we are currently undergoing, we're in an experiment that has never happened in the history of the world. Undoubtedly, the internet has been done both good for the world, but has also brought about some many uh, devastative uh, results. Um, I want to show you, um, just giving you the why, establishing the why here. If you look at the Bible in Daniel chapter 12, Verse 4, um, it says something here about the last days. Daniel 12, 4 says this, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. It says this, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. This is a hallmark of the last days. Knowledge increasing and, and uh, international travel, people running to and fro. How many know that's totally true today? Um, when, when Columbus sailed to the Americas, it, it took, um, the average time there took anywhere between six, and f- six weeks and four months. Can you imagine that? Like, I'll be there soon. How long will it take you? I don't know, two months, maybe four, you know? Yeah, we were delayed by two months, you know? That's what, inter- that's what travel, transatlantic travel used to be like. Now it's seven hours to fly across the Atlantic. Knowledge increasing, of course. Knowledge has increased um, with the advent of the internet. You, can, you have a question, you're hanging out with friends, like talking about something. Hey, let's Google that real quick. Let's find out what the answer to that is. Knowledge is so available at the, at the tip of our fingertips. How much more now with the advent of uh, artificial intelligence and all the questions that's bringing into, uh, into the world. Um, but here's the deal. Unfortunately, along with the, the good availability of knowledge, there has come a lot of bad knowledge, right? Interestingly enough, Jesus also says, he also makes some statements about the last days. Jesus says this, um, he says that Matthew 24, 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. He says most people, because of the increase of wickedness throughout the world, the love of most people will wax cold, will grow cold. So here we have two hallmarks in the last days, increase of knowledge Daniel chapter 12, and increase of wickedness, Matthew chapter 24. I want to suggest to you that the two are connected. 
the increase of knowledge that, the, that Daniel speaks of in the last days in Daniel 12 and the increase of wickedness in the last days that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24 are connected. Could it be that part of people's love waxing cold is that they're replacing healthy, normal sexual drives, connections, and romantic pursuits for substitutionary, fake, self-serving fantasies? Okay, that's a good definition of... Uh, it, there's, it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul also says, um, what did Paul say? He said that men would be lovers of themselves. Men would be lovers of themselves in the last days. Okay, people's love will wax cold. So here's the deal. Pornography doesn't lead you to be a more loving, connected, grounding person. Pornography leads you to be self-serving. How many know that love is self-sacrificing? Okay. I think the increase of knowledge is directly linked to the increase in wickedness. We've seen that. And the byproduct is less affectionate, less empathetic, less compassionate humans. I want to play a quick video and just talk about, because um, again, some people might say, well, what's the big deal? You know, it's like boys will be boys. And, and by the way, this is not just a boys problem, which I'll talk about here in a minute. Um, what's the big deal? Well, um, it actually, um, research and is, is catching up to what we knew in the word of God. And um, there is there's, um, science-based research showing that it actually changes your brain. So go ahead and roll that video. Sexual tastes vary from person to person, but with the current pornography epidemic, as some call it, one has to wonder how exactly this may affect our desires and perception of sexuality. Moreover, how does it affect our sex lives? Pornography constitutes about 25% of all search engine requests and is the fourth most common reason people give for going on the internet. And while it may seem to simply facilitate an instinctual sexual response, the truth is, pornography has dynamically changed over time, ultimately molding our tastes and desires. The not-so-shocking truth is that pornography has profound consequences for the brain and acts in many ways like a drug. With prolonged exposure, your tolerance is increased and many often find themselves addicted. Though it's not a physical substance, it leads to the same general loss of control, the compulsiveness to seek out the activity despite negative consequences, and withdrawal when it goes away, much like that of gambling or running, for example. The issue is that continued exposure can cause long-term or even lifelong neuroplastic change in the brain. Dopamine is released as a reward whenever we accomplish something, whether it be eating to sustain life or sexual activity to produce future life. And this dopamine consolidates neural connections in order to drive us to perform the same activity in the future. In other words, it alters and forms the brain cells to motivate certain actions. It rewires your brain. The National Institutes of Health measure drug addictiveness by testing rats. The rat is trained to press a button in order to get a drug, and the harder it works indicates how addictive the substance is. It turns out that the more addictive a drug is, the more dopamine we see released. And while there is, unfortunately, no rat porn that we can give to them, we do know that dopamine is also released during sexual excitement, which pornography plays right into. The more time you spend doing it, the more dopamine gets released, which reinforces the behavior and makes you not only desire it in the future, but require it. And as you begin to imagine these images away from the computer or while having sex, they become reinforced. Furthermore, each orgasm releases even more dopamine, which consolidates the connections made during the session. It's a feedback loop that becomes harder to escape. And just like a drug, your tolerance for visual stimulation has now compounded, making it more difficult to be turned on by reality. Pornography addiction can often lead to finding your mate less attractive. 
The good news is, it doesn't have to be permanent. Usually when people understand the mechanism and realize it's affecting their relationships, they can stop. The brain is often described as a use-it-or-lose-it system because the neural connections you stimulate grow stronger and desire to be activated, while the ones you ignore become weakened. Much like your muscles, which, if sitting still all day, itch for activity, but after prolonged non-use, they become complacent. Luckily, because of this use-it-or-lose-it brain, the same neuroplastic system that proliferates these habits can also be used to acquire healthier ones. All right, so is it good or bad? Bad. Okay, thank you. That was the right answer. Terrible, exactly. Um, and I, is it any wonder that human trafficking, sex trafficking, is, is on the, the rise? Why? Because the, the stimulation it needs um, becomes more and more and more. Pretty soon you're bored with the pictures, and then you're bored with the videos, then you're bored with whatever explicit things you're Googling to see, right? Um, which leads to infidelity, which leads to prostitution, which leads to a lot of crazy things. I think that the, there's a huge connection. There, there is. This is a gateway drug to human trafficking. And people find themselves in all kinds of messes because they started with what they thought was something that's just innocent. Here's the deal. There are more slaves today than in human history. Oftentimes we think about slavery as like, oh, that's something of the past. You know, oh, thank God we don't have slavery anymore. There are more slaves today than ever in human history because of human trafficking. What's driving the demand? I think, I think the, the gateway drug is pornography. Let me give you a few more stats and, and hopefully you have your why. Um, the porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and NLB combined. The, the revenue is more than those three combined. 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. So over half of the divorces that happen, this is part of the issue of why they got divorced. What about the church? The church is a little bit better than those who are non-professing Christians, but it's not good. Um, 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women admit to viewing pornography on a regular basis. Um, These are not addicted per se, but these are people who on a semi-regular basis um, admit to viewing it. For men the ages 18 and 30 in the church, those regularly viewing pornography, that, that jumps to 79%. So three, three quarters, three out of four, more than three out of four um, young men, between Christian men between the ages of 18 and 30, admit to having a problem with this. Um, I believe, and perhaps naively believe, that I hope that number is lower within our church, but I'm not so naive to believe that it's not a problem. I know it's a problem, and I know we need to talk about it. Um, it's a problem for men, it's a problem for women. And it's, it's an increasing problem for women, actually. It used to be thought of as like, this, it's a man problem. It's actually increasingly becoming a woman problem. And young women especially need to hear about this as well. And in fact, many of them, because no one wants to be naive. And so a lot of women actually approach it for like sex education. Like, well, I don't want to not know what I'm doing. And so they'll go to sites um, trying to get an education and find themselves um, more and more interested in an addiction themselves. It happens all the time. We've, my wife and I have both counseled people. Um, she's counseled women. I've counseled men who have uh, pornography addictions. Now, so is it a problem? Yes, it's, it's definitely a problem. Um, it also, also, 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. 
like the biggest issue they face. So of course we need to be talking about it. It is a problem. Now, for Christians, it's relatively intuitive to understand that pornography is not good for us. We have the Word of God, which the, the, the Bible talks a lot about lust, right? Um, we have the, if, you, if you read the Bible enough, you'll know, like, okay, pornography is probably not a good thing just by reading the Word of God. But it took the secular world some time to catch up with what we already knew. I heard this a lot, like in the, you know, the early 2000s. People are like, ah, it's not a big deal. You're just looking. Boys will be boys. That is not the consensus anymore. That is not what non-Christians are saying. Anymore. That video you just watched, that is not a Christian video. That is a scientific video. Non-Christians now agree that the addictive nature of porn, the elevated levels of cheap dopamine, dopamine that you don't have to work for, um, which lead to lower, low levels of dopamine, are absolutely hurting our culture and hurting our healthy motivations. You should be motivated to do certain things in life, and, and oftentimes people who find themselves in habits and addictions just have no energy to do anything else. Why? Because they're spending all their dopamine on, on, on cheap thrills, okay? And here's what got the world's attention, and I know that this is like a subject, this is not like a shouting message, like a amen message, right? But it's real. It's real because y'all need to hear it. Um, what got the world's attention? I'll tell you what, what finally got their attention is that um, men's brains were so hyper-stimulated and they needed more and more levels of stimulation that they could, literally could not be aroused by normal circumstances. In other words, they made themselves impotent. And a lot of men who backed away from, okay, I got to stop this, um, recovered from that and been able to come from that. It's a huge subject. It's a huge topic that people are talking about. And now Christians and non-Christians alike have basically come to a consensus that the rapid availability of this is hurting everyone. This is no longer debatable in our culture. This is what we've learned from this wonderful experiment that we've been having for the last 20 years. We've learned, the world has come over to the Christian side and said, yeah, this is not good for us, okay? Because of this, there are eight states that are currently working on anti-porn legislation that particularly helps to target young people and um, gives them a fighting chance. So here's the deal. It kills your dopamine levels. It kills testosterone. You might think it makes you more of a man, more testosterone. No, it actually kills your testosterone. Um, it kills your healthy, natural drives to be um, ambitious and to go after things in life and to set goals, to start businesses. It kills all that initiative and all that drive because you're short-circuiting the, the way God designed us to go after things and to get dopamine from accomplishments. That's when you should have a dopamine hit, is by accomplishing something, not by scrolling and people liking your stuff, by the way. That's another but similar subject, okay? You should get a dopamine hit from accomplishing something in life, not from a, a, a cheap hit like that, okay? So here's the deal. Being a consumer of pornography is not the best version of you. It's not the most focused version of you. It's not the version that's closest to God and walks in intimacy and hears his voice. It's not the version of you that's, that's the most connected, happy, and healthy, and has healthy relationships, okay? I just want to encourage you, it's worth quitting. It's worth resisting. It's worth standing against. And I want to encourage you to be a porn-free person. I want to encourage you not to be a casual once every six months, once every year, once every month. I want to encourage you to be free from this once and for all. How do we get free? All right, that's, that's the why. How do we get free? 
this is not going to be an all-inclusive, like, every step for everyone to get free, because how many know there's different levels? And if you have a serious, like, addiction problem, you, you might need um, more additional help, because you need, to, you need to rewire your brain. You need to break out of a cycle. You might need counseling. You might need a sozo. You might need um, to go to soaking prayer, those kind of things. But um, here's the deal. How do we get free? Point number one, you're going to love this. Bring it into the light. Bring it into the light. I don't care if you stumble once a week, once a month, once every six months, once a year. Bring it into the light. with. If you're a man, bring it to the light with a man you trust. If you're a woman, bring it into the light with a woman you trust. Sins like this have a way of festering in darkness. How many know like bacteria and mold and those things grow best in the dark. Listen, sin is the same way. You keep it in the dark, keep it secret, keep it shameful, keep it covered. That's where it's going to grow the most. The lie is this. The lie is I can't tell anyone because they'll reject me. They'll condemn me. They won't understand. Listen, they will understand. They won't reject you. If you find a brother or sister in Christ who you trust and you're willing to open up with and talk about this, I guarantee you that you're going to immediately start walking in more freedom. The fastest way to break the guilt cycle, and listen, guilt and shame plays right into this. The same one that tempts you says, it's fine. Boys will be boys. You have a high sex drive. Go for it. You, you deserve this. You need this. That same voice that says it's okay when you do it, well, then I'll say, look at you, you piece of scum. You call yourself a Christian. You call yourself a follower of God. The same one that tempts you is the same one that condemns you. But what does that do? That actually leads you back into that, that cycle of doing it over and over and over. And it leads to binging and all those things, okay? The fastest way to break the guilt cycle, tell someone that you have a problem. And I don't care, again, if the problem is once every six months, once, every, once a year. Tell someone that can kind of talk to you about it and hold you accountable to it. I am, I am an accountability partner for uh, several men who, um, some of which don't even live in Colorado. They moved away, but I'm still an accountability partner for them. By the way, I'm not looking for more people to be accountability partner for, <laughs> literally, because it does take some care. There is a span of care issue. It does take some time to keep in touch with people and check in with them every once in a while. It, and I, I can't do that with more than a few people. And so <clears throat> we want to break that guilt cycle. Here's the deal. Don't conceal it, reveal it. Pride conceals, humility reveals. Okay, pride conceals, humility reveals. Um, it's hard to admit you have a problem. It's hard to admit that you're human. It's hard to admit you stumble. But listen, we are in a, this is a difficult, for, for many people, this is a difficult task. The rampant availability of this is so tempting to so many people. And so we're going to reveal it. Um, Proverbs, I'm not saying reveal it to everyone. Like, don't do that. Like, don't come up here at the end and... Tell everyone. Tell someone, though, but tell someone that you trust, that can stand with you and pray with you. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. Hello. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. How many want to receive mercy? Come on. So let's not conceal. Let's reveal. James 5, 16 says this. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. We don't confess our sins to each other so that God will forgive us, right? We confess our sins to God so, and God forgives us. But how many know if you want to be healed, you confess your sin to a brother or sister in Christ? That's how you get healing. Forgiveness from God is like, God forgive me, and he's, he's merciful. He'll give that to you right away. But 
Healing comes when we are in community and we pray for one another. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective is what it says there in James. So if you want to be healed of this pattern, confess it to a brother or sister in Christ or a parent, maybe if you're a younger person. Who are you going to tell? All right, that's the question. Who are you going to tell about this problem? Good question. Maybe for some of you, it's a spouse. Okay, and that might be hard for you. Maybe your spouse has no idea that this is an issue in your life. Maybe it's a close Christian friend, but you need to tell someone who will stand with you and check in on you and pray for you. Now, spouses, I want to <laughs> just talk about this for a second. If you're a spouse and, and you have a, your husband or wife admits that this is a problem uh, and you didn't have any idea about it, um, you might be hurt, understandably. You might have thoughts of insecurity, like, am I not good enough? What's going on here? You might be angry. You might feel betrayed. But if your spouse admits that they have a problem, big or small, it's because they want freedom. It's not because they want to hurt you. Like, no one is signing up to tell their spouse because they want to stay, keep it in the dark. They want to bring it in the light, and they want freedom, and actually, they do love you. One of the lies about people who their spouse is looking at things that they shouldn't, one of the lies the the victim of, we'll call it, well, the, the, the spouse who is, um, you know, being cheated on, whatever. One of the lies they believe is like, oh, they don't love me anymore. That's not true. Um, that's probably not true. They probably do love you. They want freedom. So if they come to you, um, you, you might need to deal with all that. But maybe your spouse isn't the best person to go to. What are you, but what are you going to do? You are going to tell someone. You are going to find someone. Um, I, have, I have men who talk to me who don't, it's not that they don't talk to their spouses, but they have someone that they talk to, and that's super important. So maybe your spouse is the best person because Lord knows they're going to want to hold you accountable, right? Um, so you have a um, motivated accountability partner in that sense, um, but I'm not saying your spouse is the best person or not, but you're going to tell someone, you're going to pray about it because everyone needs someone that they can talk to about this kind of stuff, amen? I don't care who you are. If you're a Christian and you have no community, there's no one you can talk to about your struggles, like, you, you need community. Like, we're not meant to do this on our, on our own. We're not called to do this on our own. Amen? Every, every um, verse, and pretty much every verse in the Bible where it talks about um, the Christians, it's talking to a body of believers, not the lone soldier on the hill who fights all of his or her battles on their own. Amen? Okay. So, bring it into the light. You're going to tell someone about it. Point number two, how to get free is run from sexual temptation, okay? Flee from sexual temptation. Run from it. Here's what I want to tell you today. You are not called to fight sexual temptation. You're not called to fight it. You're called to flee from it. You're called to run from it. 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul says this, run from sexual sin. No other sin clearly affects our body as this one does, how many of that video we just watched about the dopamine levels and how it changes your brain? How many of that, that proves this scripture to be true? No other sin affects our body as much as sexual immorality because it literally rewires yourself and changes your chemistry. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Okay, but listen, what are you going to do? You're going to run from sexual sin. Some of you are losing this battle because you think you're called to fight lust. You're losing the battle because you think you're called to fight lust. You're not called to fight lust. You're called to flee lust. You're called to run from it. You're called to run from temptation. The, the Greek word here 
Um, it's, uh, it means, it's a verb. It means to run away, literally or figuratively, by implication, to shun, by analogy, to, to vanish, to escape, to flee. Just get out. Get away from it, right? Paul doesn't say, stand. I want to stand and fight sexual temptation. He doesn't say that. He says, get away from it. Okay? How many know that um, in the Bible, when, when Joseph was in Potiphar's house and, and Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, it says this, she caught him by his cloak and said to him, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, like he got away and he ran out of the house. Okay? That's what we need to do. We need to flee from sexual temptation. All right? By the way, look at the word. I just want you to see this word in the Greek uh, for sexual sin in 1 Corinthians uh, 618, sexual morality. It, it's, it's the Greek word pornea. Uh, the root of the English words pornography or pornographic. It, and it means like a selling off, a surrendering of sexual purity, promiscuity of any and every type. Imagine that. You're selling yourself off. It's like you're prostituting yourself. That's what, it's fornication. It's, it's um, pornography. What do we need to do? Don't fight pornography. Flee from pornography. Here's the deal. God equips you to fight every battle you're called to fight. But you're not called to fight sexual temptation. You're called to flee from it. You're called to run from it. That's why some of you are losing this battle. Let me give you an application. (laughs) I think most of us are on social media, but how many... This happens all the time. You get some message from from some scandalous, probably made-up profile. Hey, friend request, come check out my nude pics. Honestly, all the time, all the time. What are you going to do? You're not going to go like, is this person actually a friend? Do I know them? Let's see. Um, well, I, I mean, I need to see the pics, obviously. What are you going to do? Delete. You're called to run from it. Don't investigate it. Check it out. Well, it's just a, I'm just checking out. And pretty soon you're a long way from where you should be. Don't be curious. Stop being curious. I know that you're wired to be curious, especially men. We're wired to be visually stimulated. We are curious. Don't be curious. Run from sexual immorality. Flee from it. That's point number two. Point number three is develop a strategy. You need a purity plan. A purity plan. Um, Some of your purity plans have to be more intense than others, okay? Um, I'll give you a little context for my purity plan. Um, my wife and I, we were, we were pastors on staff at Res Church for nine years. And while we were on staff there, um, we, uh, um, one, of the, one of the pastors there um, had admitted to having a pornography problem. And that pornography problem led to him having infidelity in his marriage. And it was, like, that's a huge deal when a pastor's like, I've been unfaithful. And he admitted this because it was just eating him up inside. And um, what it did is it, it um, shockwaves basically went through our church and through our staff. And it's like, we started having honest conversations about like, are you doing good? Are you doing good? There was another pastor that I know of who was actually had a problem and admitted it to his spouse and then got, got some help. Um, he, he wasn't being unfaithful, but it led to some good conversations. And um, it led, um, so my wife, she asked me, she's like, are you good? Like, do you have a problem, you know? And I'm like, you know what? I don't have an addiction. I don't seek it out. Um, I, I don't have like a, a chronic problem. I said, but I'd be lying to you if I said I never, ever have a problem with it. 
I'd be lying to you if I said that. And so um, I said, what, what are we going to do about that? And so, and so I admitted that it wasn't a chronic problem, but it was like maybe, maybe once a year, once every six months, it was like, oh, I slipped up. I looked, uh, you know. Um, and, it, and it just led to me getting some, some good accountability on my phone. I've got an app on my phone called Covenant Eyes. There are other apps out there. But what does this do? My wife gets a report every Saturday morning of all my internet activity on my phone and on my, my computers. I have two computers and our kids' computers. She gets a report of all the activity that's, that's gone on. How many think that's important? And just that, it was almost like, so when there's that temptation, like, oh, I could click on that. I was like, no, my wife's going to get a report, and I don't want to explain this one. So that, it was at that little extra nudge I needed to just say, no, this isn't, this isn't what I want. This isn't good. And um, listen, some of you might need to delete apps off your phone. Some of you might need your spouse to lock your phone down where maybe you can't have internet for a while, or maybe some of those apps that are just causing you. Listen, maybe it's not pornography, but there's, how many know that Instagram, there's some scandalous stuff on there. You can, it goes right up to the line of what is considered pornography. And there's some other apps where there's pornographic material on it. And listen, do you need to have that on your phone? Is that a problem for you? Maybe you need to delete some apps off your phone. Um, so here's the deal with my phone. I can download apps, but I can't delete them. And every once in a while I go for a run and I leave my phone at home and my wife's able to look at all my whole phone. It's like, does he have any apps he shouldn't have on here? I actually can't delete any apps without her deleting them for me. Why? Because I want accountability. I don't want to be able to download an app, do something I shouldn't, and then, and then be able to get away with it. I want to get caught if it becomes a problem. Why? Because I don't want it to become a problem in my life. I want to stay above board. Our daughter's phone is locked down. Our, we have accountability in our home. We talk about this all the time. I have other guys I talk about this with. Again, it was never a chronic repetitive problem in my life, but I was just like, you know, I gotta be honest, I'm not perfect. I, I, I wasn't being perfect all the time, so I took it seriously. Um, so some of you need to think about that. Locking your kids' phones down, locking your phone down, um, having more accountability for what you're looking at. Okay, so that's, that's point number three. Develop a strategy, develop a purity a strategy. Whatever it is you need to do, do it. You know, Jesus talked about if your right hand causes you sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you sin, gouge it out. Now, I haven't seen many believers walking around without hands or eyes. Um, so I don't, I don't think he meant literally to do that. But I think what Jesus meant was like, take it seriously. Do whatever it takes. Um, take it seriously. Um, so take it seriously. Point number four, how do you get free? Know your triggers and know your weak points. A lot of people fall into the temptation, not because they're like lusty all the time. It's because they're, they got fired from their job. They're discouraged. They got in a fight with their spouse and they're just, they're hurting. And what are they looking for? They're looking for a dopamine hit. They're looking to feel better. Just how many people go to alcohol to feel better? How many people go to drugs to feel better? We like people seek out things to make them feel better. So know your triggers. Um, I know that I'm, I'm more susceptible at times when I feel like I've failed. When I feel like I'm a big failure, it's like I know that i got to be more careful. Um, my mind, my body wants to look for cheap dopamine. And it's like, no, you're not going to get cheap dopamine. Okay? Um, and so be honest with people. Um, know your triggers. Know your weak points. Um, learn from your failures. Like you failed. It's like, okay, why did I feel this time? Why did I mess up this time? What was it? Were you discouraged? Were, were, you, um, were you in a compromised position you shouldn't be? Were you vulnerable? Why were you vulnerable? What was it 
that led to that? And what has it been in the past that's led to you being successful in that area? It's kind of like study, take notes. And if you mess up, don't binge, get back on and keep going because God wants to free us from this. Amen. Let me conclude with this. How do we get free? I'll just review real fast. Bring it into the light. Tell people about it. Amen. Tell someone. Two, run from sexual temptation. Flee from sexual temptation. Number three, develop a strategy. Number four, know your triggers and your weak points. I feel like I should say this, that that pastor that um, got caught up in pornography and infidelity, I should say that that man has been totally restored and is back in full-time ministry now. Wonderful man. I just want to say, like, God restores people and... And that was a journey for that, that couple. They stayed married, and they got through it. And God can get you through this. Help is on the way. Don't give up. Those of you with a chronic problem, and you can't seem to break from it, you're in a rut, and you can't seem to get out of that rut, you might have to get professional help, a sozo, something to help break this cycle so that you can begin to detox your brain, to begin to rewire the patterns, Maybe for a season, you shouldn't even have a phone, right? Detox your brain. Because, um, yeah, so I don't know where you're at, but take it seriously. This is what will happen when you quit something, though. You will feel, if you're addicted, you will feel withdrawals. Your, um, you need to detox your brain. Your dopamine will be low for a, a while. Your, your body needs to reset. You're going to have to get out of the rut. But by month three and beyond, your emotions will stabilize, your focus sharpens, a healthy sex drive returns, your spiritual confidence comes back, you, have more, you experience more intimacy and connections in your relationships, and you find a newfound purpose and new energy in your life once you get out of that rut. You've begun to rewire your brain. Your best life is ahead. Amen? Why don't you guys stand on your feet? This is obviously a tough subject to talk about, but it's one we have to take seriously as a church. As I said in those statistics, it's, it's just running through the body of Christ. And so, again, if this isn't you and it's not your problem, obviously your intercession is needed for the body of Christ. But I, as a pastor, I love you, and I want us to be successful in this. And I don't want anyone to have spiritual pride thinking, oh, I got this. Oh, I got, I can, I can control this. No, listen, tell someone about it. Get some accountability. Put some extra measures in place so that it's not a problem for you. I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, have Pastor Adam close the service. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for every person in this room, Lord. I thank you, God, that um, you love us so much, Lord. And um, God, if anyone is stuck in this place, Lord, maybe it's a, a chronic user, maybe it's an occasional user, but Lord, we want to have integrity with our eyes, Lord God. We want to be men of integrity. God, we, we want to be women of integrity, Lord. Lord, and I thank you that you are calling us to that. You're calling us to be people of integrity, people who have made a covenant with our eyes, Lord. People who walk above reproach, Lord, and are not encumbered and bound by, by sin, Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray encouragement over anyone here who's struggling, Lord. We just say no condemnation, no guilt, shame. We want to break that cycle off of them in Jesus' name. And I just pray today, Lord, would be the day that grace steps in and they find their identity in Christ 
their newfound identity in Christ would lead them into truth, Lord. And I thank you, Jesus. You're, you are gently guiding. You are gently leading. I just, I just have a picture of the Lord grabbing your hand wherever you're at. He's grabbing your hand and he's pulling you out of that thing right now. In Jesus' name. Just, I'm just, as a prophetic act, I just want to, I'm, yeah, I'm going to come down here. And I just, this is the Lord grabbing your hand. And as a prophetic act, he is drawing you out. He's pulling you out of this bondage. He's pulling you out of the cycle. He's pulling you out of the guilt and the shame. He's pulling you out of, of a lustful mind, and he's bringing you into a pure mind. And so I speak grace over everyone here right now, Lord. Just receive that right now. Receive his love. Receive his mercy. Receive his grace. No one gets free from guilt and shame and condemnation. They get free by the grace of God. They get free by truth. So we love you. We bless you. We thank you for today. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said... Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Have a great week.